Startle us, O God, with your truth. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. For almost 30 years, the Reverend Dr. John Buchanan began each worship service with those exact words at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago. Startle us, O God, with your truth. This first Sunday of Lent does not have its meaning without the startling event of last Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Right on the heels of Shrove Tuesday and the end of the season of Epiphany, after all, we are reminded that there is so much more to all that we do in this season than pancakes (laughs) and sitting around waiting several weeks for the bunny, chocolate, the flowers, Easter. For those who were present, it marked, it was marked by ashes on the forehead and those haunting yet truthful words, you are dust and unto dust you shall return. This is a startling reminder of just who we are where we came from, and where we are going. It reminds us, lest we forget, that God is truly in control, not us. Startle us, O God, with your truth. This morning, Jesus is joyously proclaimed, my Son, the Beloved, and praised that with Him God the Father is well pleased. Jesus' baptism is a startling moment of divine delight and blessing. It is an anointing of power and prestige as never before. An acknowledgement of Jesus' divine status. And then He is brought down. As Salim preached last Sunday, you must pass through the valleys in order to reach the mountains. The valleys proceed, and we must pass through to get to the top. Jesus goes from being heralded from the heavens to being banished to the boondocks, the wilderness, the outskirts of acceptance, the edge of acceptability. This is the place where those who have no place are banished. We know that place, don't we? We've all been there at some point or another. We've all spent time wandering around that wilderness of temptation. It is truly a place that will startle us but we must pass through a place where we may seemingly be cut off from God or at least sense a real distance from Him. In 1 Peter, 
as you heard a few moments ago, there is a recounting of the Genesis story. The great flood. Where we see the separation of creation from its creator. The cleansing of evil and corruption. And then Peter tells us of the ultimate in separation from God and a mystery, a holy mystery unto itself that we still ponder to this day as Jesus dies and descends to hell. Hades. This is the time between His death and resurrection, which we would be Good Friday leading into Holy Saturday. Nevertheless, I think we can all agree separation from God is not good. In fact, I can't think of anything more lonely and desperate than being cut off from God. Just as the power of water cuts us off and cut us off in the time of Noah, so too did Jesus experience this extreme and definitive separation on the cross. First Peter tells us that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In which also He went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. Were saved through water. And we are told it prefigures baptism. This passage conjures up for us the harrowing of hell. Raise your hand if you have heard of the harrowing of hell. A few of you. I didn't know much about it until I went off to seminary. The harrowing of hell. Where Jesus, as we hear in 1 Peter, made alive through the Spirit, Good Friday into Holy Saturday, descends to hell and preaches God's power, God's grace, God's love to those cut off from Him through the Spirit. He passes through those waters. He makes His way through the valley. A London poet named George McKay Brown describes the harrowing of, harrowing of hell in this way. He went down the first step. His lantern shone like the morning star. Down and around he went, clothed in his five wounds. On second, he meets Solomon. Third, David. Fourth, Joseph. Fifth, Jacob. Sixth, Abel. On the seventh step, down the tall primal dust. Adam, turned with a cry from digging and delving, tomorrow the Son of Man will walk in a garden 
through drifts of apple blossom. This week, as I was thinking about this passage from 1 Peter and the Gospel, I continued to have this imagery of a time back in the 1990s, and I don't know, maybe because I, I wish I could go there right now. There's, there's a part of that, I'll have to admit. But a time when uh, my wife Susie and I, before we had children, uh, went camping at the Outer Banks. And it was, I believe it was Memorial Day weekend, but if you've ever been to the Outer Banks in North Carolina, it doesn't matter what time of year you go, the water is always cold. Now, I was reminded this morning by Mark Pape that it's not Cape Cod. <laughs> but the waters are always cold. It's far out, and you really have to go to the southern beaches, which as a North Carolinian, I'd recommend the southern beaches. That's where you're going to find the warmest water. But we went to the Outer Banks, and we were camping on the sand dunes, and we were out on the beach, and the wind was blowing. And I remember we were walking along. We had some of my, a um, couple of my college roommates were there and um, some family members. And there was this uh, sandbar that had formed. And one of the other things that they tell you not to do at the Outer Banks is to go swimming. And especially if you're near some of the inlets. The currents are very, very dangerous. But several of us challenged each other that we were going to jump in this water, and it was very deep uh, from the tide that had dug into the sand, and that we would swim across and make our way to that sandbar where we could stand, and the water would just be up to our ankles. And we dived in that water, and it was startling cold. It shocked you. And you made your way through, and, and you, you felt like you had to do it because, well, you were being challenged to do it. And we made our way there, and we're standing, looking back at the folks who didn't go, and it was cold. And we knew the only way back was, guess what? Through those waters. We had to swim back through those waters, and your heart is racing, and you're wondering, what in the world am I doing? How foolish. So here's the good news. Through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are no longer separated from God. And there are three proclamations found this morning which ring eternal. And they too, they all pass through these saving waters. First, God promises through the, through the sign of His covenant to never again cut off humanity from His love and presence. There is nothing separating us from the love and presence of God. It is a reminder unto itself, a pledge to you and to me, Second, Jesus preaches God's love and grace to all in prison. You may feel like you're in a prison at times. 
Maybe you feel like you're there now. Whatever it is that's going on in your own life. But the Lord is ever-present preaching this grace and love. The graves are opened and the prisoners are set free. You are free. And it is a reminder that there is no place in all of this universe as vast as it is unbelievably vast. No place, either here or below or above, you name it, that this love and grace of God through Jesus Christ has not reached and will not. Nowhere. It is everywhere. This is the ultimate and the proverbial phoenix rising from the ashes because it is hopeful Each of you has hope. And finally, God proclaims His favor through Jesus' baptism. And then Jesus proclaims to us, as you just heard in the Gospel, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Through all this, we must pass through the ritual and sacrament of baptism. The baptism you received whenever you were baptized and those other baptisms that we see like last Sunday and at other times where we relive our baptism, where we are told we are saved. In the 27th article of religion, in the back of our Book of Common Prayer, and by the way, In the coming months and years, we are going to be diving deep into our Book of Common Prayer. And those good things that are at the back of it, we're going to be diving into that in the tradition. I promise you. But it states in this 27th article, baptism is stated as sufficient for rebirth or regeneration. One baptism, once and for all. But then it goes on and says this, and this is the important part. Faith is confirmed and grace increased by virtue of prayer unto God. In other words, in the course of one's Christian journey, there must be renewal of spirit. There must be personal changes that are effectuated in our relationship with God to pass through the proverbial saving waters means to allow one's heart to be set on fire for the Lord and Creator. And to recognize deep down within ourselves and in our souls that the giver of all life has given a true treasure, a gift, you. Each of you. Perhaps it's in these moments where we feel like we are separated from God, but we are not, but we feel it, which allows us to be molded into a more perfect vessel for His choosing. A startling truth when you think about it. Certainly Noah and his family were saved through the waters. Jesus 
proclaims the good news through the power of the waters in His baptism. And we too, as it says in 1 Peter, with an appeal to God for a good conscience, a good conscience, that we too are saved through the power of the waters of baptism. It is God's eternal commitment and our serious, heartfelt pledge. And it is through these waters of baptism and the resurrection that we will never, ever again be cut off from God. God, who we know as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So let us remember, as we leave here today and we journey over these next few weeks of Lent, remember that we are dust, and unto dust we shall return. But this dust, this dust belongs to its Creator. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. It has a place of incredible value. Ponder those startling words. Startle us, O God, with your truth. Amen.